0: All right, everyone, welcome back to the Coffee with Craner show for a very special episode, my 50th one, with Windsor Regional Hospital President and CEO, David Mouché. David has been at the Windsor Regional Hospital since 2000, became President and CEO in 2007. He's a University of Windsor alumnus, uh, graduating from the dual JD program, and he's he's able to practice really in Ontario and the state of Michigan, um, so it's really an absolute treat to have you on the show today, David. I know you're working extremely hard and tirelessly during the entire pandemic. I would imagine uh, no days off, and uh, it's it's great to have you as my fiftieth guest.
1: Oh, thanks, uh, Lyndon. Thanks for having me. And as I stated, a little offended that I wasn't, you know, a little earlier, but I'm honored you picked me for number fifty. So well done. Thank you. For <laughs>
0: Yes. Thanks, David. And every episode I, I ask a, a question relating to coffee and I, I don't want to stump you on this one, but where is your favorite place near uh, Windsor Regional Hospital to get coffee?
1: Well, the beauty of it is at uh, both the Met and Ouellette campus, we have Tim Horton's um, establishments here. And um, so that's my favorite spot. But in reality, um, I'm a Mickey D's fan, so I uh, McDonald's coffee, in my opinion, sorry, Tim's Lovers, is my coffee of choice, both in the hospital and outside of the hospital, um, so that's where in the morning, if I had a choice to stop to grab a coffee, it's uh, Mickey D's, and um, at home, I have both, uh, I have a Keurig that last week, talking about coffee, was is the most traumatic incident in my life, my Keurig stopped working. So it was a bad, bad morning, and Amazon.ca got really quick um, to order one, to get one replacing it. So I have both the Keurig cups for Tim's and Mickey D's, and I will use Mickey D's at Keurig more than Tim's. So that's a long answer to a short question.
0: <laughs> well, we've heard it. Uh, if anybody wants to give David a, a coffee, make sure it's uh, McDonald's or, uh, well, it's great. You have, you have Tim Hortons located on site, so you can never run short of, of your favorite uh, drink in the morning.
1: Yeah, exactly. Uh,
0: so David, I mentioned you, you graduated with the dual JD um at the university of Windsor. Talk me through that. And I know you graduate or you, you went to law school after your second year of business, which is extremely impressive. Um, and you've went on from there and I've, I've held multiple roles. Now you're at the hospital. Um, you have been for uh, a, a fair bit now. Can you walk us through the path you took to get where you are right now?
1: Yeah. So, um, uh, Lyndon, we're both, uh, uh, I was born I'll back it up really back up. Um, I was born on the West end of Windsor Greenview Crescent a hey, Greenview Crescent fans. Um, and when I was about five, uh, we moved, Uh, my parents bought property on the sixth concession of Amesburg. So um, I have an older brother and sister and uh, we moved um, out to Aberg and out in the County quote. And uh, my dad was a school principal. So education was very important um, to him and the family. And uh, my mom um, was a bookkeeper, worked at various locations, both here Um, in Windsor in the United States. And in fact, um, my mom came over from the Ukraine during the war um, and met my dad at a dance in downtown Windsor. She was living in Detroit at the time and then eventually uh, moved over here and um, uh, raised our family here. So uh, long story short, went to um, St. Joe's and River Canard, as uh, grade school, then went to General Amherst, which you did too. Uh, big Bulldog fan. Um, and our CNE uh, Chief Operating Officer, Karen Riddell, is also a General Amherst grad, so little known fact. So um, she's older than me, by the way. So um, we um, uh, went to General Amherst and then applied at the University of Windsor to business. The con- at the time, I was bouncing between, am I going to become an accountant or a lawyer? I had a couple of close buddies who we went to school with each day, took the same classes, and they went off to uh, Waterloo after their second year for uh, an advanced type of business program, accounting program. And uh, now they're both accountants. Um, and I was like, you know, I don't want to do that. I want to apply to law school. I'll stick around here and apply so I applied after or during my second year because I knew they accepted some students um, after two years, a small amount, and um, at the University of Windsor. And at the time, uh, it was like they were going to do some type of longer-term study to see, quote, how these individuals turned out um, from a success point of view. So I never know if that study's been done or not. Um, so in any event, um, applied, had two years of business undergrad um, applied, wrote my LSAT. I think, I think I did horrible on the LSAT. I don't even want to look back. I think I bombed it and, um, got accepted. Um, so I was, uh, 20 years old when I started law school and the first day of law school, I met my wife at the, uh, library at the, sorry, bookstore. Um, there were bookstores back then. And this is closing in on, you know, 30 years ago Um, and uh, met her well over 30 years ago, met her at the um, uh, bookstore and uh, she was 19 at the time. So what she did is she, uh, back then there was grade 13. She didn't do grade 13. She did a preliminary year at the university. Then her second year and applied for law school and got in at 19. So the two of us, she was 19, I was 20. We started dating pretty much um, when school started and got engaged, like within we do everything fast, got engaged within six months and then got married um, when school got over. So uh, that's the path uh, that led to um, uh, getting a law degree, both Elizabeth and I then wrote our bar exams. And uh, both, um, the here in Ontario, we called, called to the bar in Ontario we're at our bar exam in Michigan, luckily both of us passed it. Uh, she did better than me, by the way. And, um, then started working here locally. Our, our plan actually was at the time we were thinking of just moving to the States that we we're going to live in the States. I have dual citizenship because of my mom and, um, we started articling really liked it and um decided to stay were we're offered jobs at our firms and um, i was at and rayfield elizabeth was at bartlett's bartlett richards um that she just quote retired from last year and um after about four or five years um elizabeth uh became pregnant with our our son max and it was at that point, I, I, I like to practice the law, the quote, traditional practice, but I, I just didn't see myself doing that for the rest of my life. I wanted to do something different. And I had at the time a lot of education clients. Um, I had a focus of uh, uh, HR, some corporate, some litigation, um, and uh, really wanted to do something different. One thing led to another. And an opportunity came up at Windsor Regional Hospital, uh, joined here as, quote, legal counsel, had a great CEO, Martin Drash, um, who just let things develop and more responsibility as time progressed. And then when he retired, I applied for his job and was honored to be selected um, after a search to be his job. So that's kind of how I got here.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's. A great journey, and I think it's inspiring that you you got into law school at such a young age, finished it, and then afterwards um, going to work at a law firm and, and being a partner after four years is is, is really incredible. Uh, and, and since we're on the the law topic, uh, we did have a question that came up um, surrounding your your law degree, and it's from uh, Jasleen Dayal at the University of Windsor. What are some of the ways uh, your experiences? at Windsor Law really inspired you to join Windsor Regional Hospital?
1: Yeah, so um, I find a law degree um, and, and the study of law, it it really, in my opinion, it changes the way you think about issues. Um, it really was, was an eye-opening experience about how you examine a particular issue and how you break it down into its components. And, um, and, and and try to get to the, the heart of an issue and, and just a different way of thinking. So I found that very helpful um, and it's very helpful to this day uh, as we're working in a hospital setting, just to have that ability to maybe look at an issue a little bit differently and break it down a little bit differently and, and then try to help myself along with others work through it. Um, And the last thing I want to be is, quote, legal counsel for myself. So I don't come across as, you know, there are experts who do hospital um, uh, legal issues that we work with and rely upon both locally and provincially. Um, But just that way of thinking, I I think helps. So back to the question, going to law school, in my opinion, opens up a lot of doors um, for an individual. So here at the hospital, you know, I'm a lawyer, a CEO, our director of HR, lawyer, manager of HR, lawyer, patient representatives, have backgrounds in legal degrees, risk management, legal degrees, um, ethics, uh, both physician legal. So it, it opens up so many different doors for an individual that just that concept of practicing law and going to court or sitting at your desk and practicing law, the traditional practice of law. Don't think of it that way. Um, I always thought of going into law school and knowing that I I don't know if I want to practice law for quote traditional law for the rest of my life. I want to do something different. I want to use a law degree to do something different. So that's what I did. So um, I, I think it's a great opportunity that opens up a lot of doors for you. And don't be think, don't think that I'm stuck in a a courtroom setting or, you know, flipping through files every day. And, um, and, and you don't need to think that way that just use it to do something different if that's what you're interested in.
0: Yeah. It's very interesting how you've applied your law degree and especially in a hospital. And do you think uh, not being, uh, I I would say a uh, doctor, uh, well, you have the juris doctor degree, but just being um, a medical doctor or um, having been a nurse or anything like that. Do you think that that um, external point of view and perspective has given you an advantage in, in
1: your role as CEO? I, I, the way I look at it, I, the issues are so complicated um, and so difficult having diverse backgrounds, getting involved in issues helps. So be it an MBA, be it a nurse, um, be it a physician, be it a dentist, uh, be it a midwife, is to have all those different diverse backgrounds allows for a better examination of an issue and allows for a more fulsome examination of an issue because we all come at it from different angles. So, um, you know, we have engineers here, we have pharmacists, I can go on and on and on on who we got. So um, even when dealing with, um, you know, uh, planning for, you know, be at the field hospital or vaccination centers or swabbing centers, having all those different uh, backgrounds comes into play depending on what the issue is. And someone, you know, it allows you to look at human nature. Um, How are people going to react when this happens? Um, um, What's going to be the natural reaction when we you know, open up, uh, you know, uh, two more days or so many more hours on swabbing. Will people come after hours? Will they come on weekends? You know, so just having that background and that dynamic background, I think is helpful. So hopefully having a law degree as a background helps add to the conversation and results in a better outcome.
0: You know, very, very interesting. And having, I guess you you talked about being well-rounded and having, different perspectives lived experiences and how those are so important in your role. So um, I I appreciate that, that answer. Um, What would, let's, let's walk us through uh, what is the average day? um, Like a CEO at Windsor regional hospital. I imagine uh, right now it's, it's uh, definitely hectic and a lot going on. Can you tell us about that?
1: Easy peasy, nothing. CEO does nothing. No, actually um, what would be, Rate is just try to make yourself redundant. Meaning, try not to get in the way. So help people get to um, the solution, and try not to get in their way. So for one, like something some people quote have criticized me for is every single patient when they come to the hospital uh, gets a letter welcoming welcoming them to the hospital. On that letter, it has my um it used to have my home phone but i got rid of my home phone so it has my cell and my email so i have my cell phone with me pretty much 24 7. and actually when people call my office phone all my office lines are connected to my cell meaning everything goes to my cell so i have this all the time and my nickname on the golf course is thumbs right because this is what i'm doing all the time so um The issue is average work day. I mean, I don't want to get you talk like on April Fools. They um, some of the staff, I should have brought it some of the staff. I brought it home, um, put a list of my my day and it starts. It says uh, David gets up at 3 a.m., sends his texts at 345, starts sending emails at five o'clock at 515. He calls you to find out if you read his emails. And then it goes through the list and then it says, you know, gets to basically at 2.45 a.m. I go back to bed. So um, I can't I'm not up 24-7. I don't work 365 days a year. So as a result, you got to surround yourself with amazing people. And that's what we have here at Windsor Regional Hospital is surround yourself with amazing people that work their tails off. And, you know, it's pretty sad when. You know, I'll get an email and yeah, I'll respond. I'll get an email and I'll send something out at 4 a.m. Just because you're responding, you're you're dealing with your day. And then someone writes back to me um, and it's like, wow, they're awake. And, and then you're like, you know what, is it really goofy? Should we just talk instead of going back and forth on text? Why don't we just have a chat at 4.30 in the morning? And we do because um, you're dealing with, okay, this is a pressing issue. Uh, maybe something happened while we're sleeping. Um, we got to get ready for this either today or next week. And we got to be ready for it. So a, a typical day is, it's its anything but atypical, but I love it. Um, it is what it is. And I wouldn't be doing it if I didn't love it. And um, And yes, I've The one thing coming out of COVID is I want to make sure I don't take things for granted in the future. So I don't take vacations for granted. Um, And and i hopefully everyone does that now is that I would go away and be with family and friends. And this would be with me 24 seven. I don't remember when I last time I put out of office on my email. Um, It's been decades. So, why? Because I, it is what it is. I, I'm there. So I could be, you know, in the United States somewhere on vacation. I mean, Florida. And someone will think I'm at home. I'm here because all my phones are tied into this. So they're calling the office. They're getting me in Florida. And I don't tell them I'm in Florida, but so, um, but you surround yourself with great people and that's what I've done. And they're amazing. And they worked their tails off and, the rest of it takes care of itself.
0: So you keep your, your like you mentioned um, having a patient, like a new patient, they would get a letter and it would have your your personal cell phone on it and they would be able to contact you.
1: Yes. Wow. Yeah, they get me live. Um, it's fascinating because it, a lot of the issues, and, and this is not meant to micromanage because um, that's one thing you got to do. And I read it from a CEO uh, who did Baptist Medical. And he did that where uh, he gave his home and cell. And again, when I used to have a home number um, and people would call and people say, oh, they're calling you at home. It's like, you know what? No, people, generally when they call me, it, it's communication. It's just connecting the dots that they have an issue. Their st- healthcare is uh, stressful. It's a stressful environment for people. Someone got sick, someone's ill, a lot of things coming at them, especially with COVID, it's coming at them left, right, and center. And it's just connecting the dots. So if I can help connecting A to B and just be able to call, say the physician or the nurse and say, listen, could you just spend like five minutes with this family? Because this is what they're looking for. And if you can just give them this answer, it's going to make a huge difference. And 99.9% of the time it does. And it's just connecting those dots. And so that's what I try to do by doing that. And it's, it's worked. So,
0: wow. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's not often that, uh, CEOs would give out their personal cell phone number and, um, anyone off the street, I guess, if they need help to give them a a direct call. And I, I, a lot of respect to you for doing that, I think um, uh, you mentioned patients or somebody that's in a a desperate situation and they need to get to the top of the chain quickly and have it be redirected. And you're the touch point for that. And Um, yeah, I just uh, applaud you for that. I think that's, um, very, very touching gesture that you do. And I, I would imagine many people really appreciate that.
1: Yeah. And again, it's not meant to, um, micromanage a situation because we do, then you are gonna be working 365 days a year, 24 seven. And again, it's communication. Mm-hmm. Most, most of the issues are just not, he, not hearing it or wanting to hear it, not being told and just connecting those dots. And once that's connected and keeping small issues small, it's a stressful environment, especially with COVID, very stressful. And it's just, you know, being available and it connected the dots, I, I, up to COVID, I prided myself on calling back every call I got. COVID it just can't do that to get these situations. So if I get a voicemail now, I will make sure I send it off because the people give enough detail that I connect them with the right person. And generally people have my email too. So they'll text me and are all, once I know their issues resolved, or dealt with, I'll text them and say, Hey, I know, you know, Jonathan or whoever called you, um, everything's okay. And they're like, yep, everything's fine. Thank you so much type of idea. So we just wow. make sure we got the dots connected and, and they know, and, and again, it's not meant uh, you cannot do it to micromanage the staff because otherwise you will be running the whole place all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's impossible. So you do it just to be available to connect the dots and it works.
0: That's no, it's it's really awesome, David. And I I, I want to flip the switch a bit to uh, talking about the pandemic. Uh, I think we're all sick of, of talking about the pandemic. Um, but what have been, I guess, in your leadership role, what are some most eye-opening experiences that you've had um, as a leader in the pandemic?
1: Uh, just being. Um prepared for it. if we back up because I was I, I started uh, pretty much when SARS was around. So it was lessons lessons learned from SARS and how to be prepared for. Um, the next pandemic is we knew it was just a matter of time um, that it was going to happen. So when stuff starts brewing, we have a great infection control team led by Erica Vitali here. And every, you know, definitely during influenza season, a lot of correspondents going back and forth saying, hey, what about this? What about this? What the numbers look like? And all this type of stuff. So when this started brewing near the end of December of uh, 2019, um, Erica was on it and was sending emails and, you know, um, heads up. And by, I think by January 6th, she had already sent a notice out to the emergency department saying, look out for these symptoms, and those symptoms hold true today. And if they come in, just make sure um, you're wearing appropriate PPE if people come in with these symptoms. And then I remember saying to her at the time, this is going to rev up. This sounds like it's going to break loose. And um, and uh, the eye-opening experience was our team being ready for it. Is all their training, education. We had two years of tabletops on pandemic preparations, and the tabletop exercise was on novel coronavirus. So we knew it was coming. Um, and it was how do we get prepared for that? You know, and we were prepared for Ebola, et cetera, mm-hmm. previously. So um, the eye opening was when, when it came. And when we knew it was coming into North America, into Canada, is doing the the preparation, the amazing team effort to get prepared and to get the facility prepared, to get all the staff prepared, to be available for it was the most nervous time before we had our first COVID positive patient in the hospital. It was literally walking on eggshells every day was just. Everyone was kind of vibrating. We're trying to keep everybody calm and say, okay, we got this. We're going to get this. We're, you know, you got your planning. We got it prepared, you know, and trying to learn as much as we can. But then we have the border with what was going on in Michigan. A lot of our colleagues were sharing stories of what was happening in Detroit. And it was just, you know, patients were showing up at the emergency department and unfortunately passing away right in front of their eyes in the emergency department. It was just chaos, and we, that put a jolt in all of us because we all were hearing it from our friends and colleagues that work over there that live in Windsor, um, and some work, work, worked here as well. So it was just the eye-opening experience of the team really coming together, and w- when we ended up with our first patient going to the floor and at each campus and talking to the staff who were caring for the patients, and they were like, we got this we're good and the calming the calm um and just they're like we got this we're we're good we we know we're we know what we're doing we're just it was just and ever since then they haven't missed a beat they've kept that going all the way through for the last year you know they're tired as all get up um because it just seems for us in windsor essex now is our calm period and the rest of the province is exploding um but this is pretty much our only calm period we've had in whole year while yeah now but the fear of knowing what's out there right now Mm -hmm. um hearing from our colleagues on this side of the border in ontario it's 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 not good
0: no definitely definitely not um what is i guess been uh, putting some light on the subject what's been your most proud moment um leading windsor's acute care hospital during this entire pandemic
1: uh, again, I think it's just the staff and them just, just got that. Like they got it. They're just, they're, they're dealing with the issues, a lot of nervousness, a lot of concern, like I said, leading up to the first COVID positive patients, patient. But once we had that just going, okay, we got this as we go along. And, um, and, and it's been rough um it's been tough um some of them you know of course came down with covid themselves and we've had our outbreaks and it's been a struggle um through all of that but through all of that they're busting their tails to take care of our community i remember back we had a i had a town hall um in early march of 2020 and it was a week before we had our first positive patient. And of course we knew they were coming and saying to the staff, this is it, folks, this is our community's relying upon us. They're looking at us to provide them with the leadership. They're looking at, we're all leaders. They're looking at us to get through this, to lead them through this. And I gave a story, our chief of staff, um, i had heard this story. He was at church. And, um, you know, back in uh, February, the end of February, early March of 2020, and it was time to go up for communion. And the people behind him in the pews were saying, "Okay, we're going to take our lead from Dr. Saad. If he goes up for communion, we'll go up for communion. And I use that as an example to say, no matter what classification you're in, no matter people know where you work and they're going to take your lead. So they're going to look to you on how you deal with COVID and how you react to COVID and how you take the lead in your community or at the hospital, and they're gonna rely upon us now. And it's time for us to to step it up. And they did, so they've been amazing. Yeah,
0: like I would imagine that many of your staff, uh, nurses, um, anyone really that's working at the hospital uh, have taken on some type of leadership role in some way during this pandemic.
1: Yes, everybody, everybody. Cause they're surrounded by, we've been surrounded by COVID patients. Um, we've had our uh, share of COVID positive patients um, in our community as compared to the rest of the province and um, being Windsor Regional Hospital, we've seen a vast majority of them. So um, it's our staff and, and having the mindset of even today, we have to assume everyone we encounter is COVID positive. Don't drop your guard. Um, and, and stick to that, and that's tough. Um, you know, it's one thing in the community not to drop your guard too, but as staff, it's on 24 seven. And what we have to remember is our staff are human beings too. So they have lives outside of this facility. So they have all the stresses of what their families are going through. Um, you know, their partners or spouses might have lost their jobs and recognizing that. So, you know, some of the proudest moments is we'll have, um, you know, meetings with staff and town halls virtually and with union executives and the union executives saying, we got to recognize we're here at the hospital. Yes, we're taking care of the community, but also we have a job and we're getting paid. Um, There's a lot of people out in the community that aren't, don't have a job and aren't getting paid and this has been devastating for them from that point of view and we have to recognize that as well and so I have pride in our staff recognizing that that yes they're doing heroes work but at the same time it's um they have a job and there's a lot in our community that are not as fortunate and and as this unfolds it probably won't get better from that point of view, and it's going to be tough.
0: No, it is, and uh, I, I definitely want to applaud yourself and the the healthcare workers that have really been working relentlessly. But this entire pandemic, it's um, I don't think we would, Windsor would be in a position that it is without um, the great system at Windsor Regional Hospital or Hotel du. Um I think it's yeah, it's it's great that both systems are, are working together, Hotel Zoo and Windsor Regional Hospital, and a variety mm-hmm. of
1: our, our, all the all the community agencies in Erie Shores, um, and you know our Windsor Essex community didn't d- disappoint either. They're just mm-hmm. just the support they've given the hospital, the healthcare workers at a time as I stated they're struggling, is phenomenal. Yeah. Um, and we, you know, you hate to say you're surprised because it's Windsor Essex, and you know I've lived here my whole life, so. Um, it's uh, you know, quote, not surprising when the chips are down, they come out and uh, they can't they they're still coming out strong.
0: Yes, yes. Um, so besides the pandemic, there has been some uh, great news for the community with uh, 9.8 million in funding from the province uh, to build a new hospital in Windsor, Essex that I think um, many of us desperately need and have been um, wanting for years. Um, so this kind of leads me to the next question. What are your future goals uh, for, for Windsor Regional Hospital? And and I guess, is this announcement um, exciting? Is it moving your goals forward?
1: Yeah, it's a huge announcement um, for our community for multiple aspects. I mean, clearly what's co- what COVID has brought to the forefront even more so is the desperate need for hospital infrastructure, putting up tarps with temporary ventilation and still having it here and the province relying upon 30 spots like that for critical care beds. Not 21st century um, healthcare infrastructure. So we desperately need that. Um, So COVID's brought that to the forefront clearly. Um, And the fact uh, this government uh, clearly saw that and has uh, put forward those monies is extraordinary Um, at a time like this um, demands on the province right now are unequal to ever um, in our lifetime with respect to the demands for the so for them to say this is important and this is needed for the province, and we're going to make this investment, knowing that when they make this investment, they are technically investing in the final product too, because they got to lock it down. Um, so this is massive um, for our community, not only from a quote construction point of view and what that's going to bring in jobs and um, the economy um, from that point of view, but really the healthcare infrastructure, um, that we desperately need to care for patients so our staff is not spending time mopping up floods that are caused by, you know, ancient pipes that are stuck in walls that we can't find the shutoff valve to because that's ancient as well. So, um, and, and yeah, I have photos, endless photos of all that um, at the hospital and we throw in millions of dollars a year into keeping these places together but they've served us well they've served us for a century each they're tired um this is uh for downtown this is you know this uh they've been through the pandemics so they were back in the flu the spanish flu so um you know two's enough and uh met was built soon after the spanish flu and was one of the reasons um, for the building of it. So, um, so the future goals is clearly that that's massive. Um, as we move forward, it's going to be a lot of, uh, excitement, uh, when it comes to recruiting, um, physicians to this community, they talk about it and they talk about being part of it. They want to be part of it. And we have a lot of physicians who we recruited over the last decade who want to be part of it, who are excited. And so I just talked to our chief of staff who said he's in active recruitment now and everyone talks about it, um, how they want to be part of that planning and part of the team. So that's great news. Our immediate goal is April 11th. We go live with our new electronic health information system. Um, it's a Cerner based system. And that's going to be um, complicated in the sense of any implementation of an H.I.S. is difficult. Um, they. Generally, don't go smooth. Uh, There's a lot of issues. It's very complicated. So um, starting the 11th for a bit of time, it's going to be a little little rocky from a health information system. Um, But the team's prepped. We're dedicated. We delayed it once. We didn't know if we were going to proceed because of wave three. But again, we have this little window here and someone's looking over us and keeping us in this bubble here in Windsor, Essex. So we're able to do it and get it going. Um, like I said, we're six six days away. So that's our immediate, and that forms the basis. We, we, we get that um, along with the great clinical care our teams are doing, the great care they're providing. And then we work on putting them in a facility that matches their um, expert level of clinical care. And I am telling you that facility is, If you have an opportunity to go look at the newer facilities in the province, be it Humber, um, you know, uh, Mackenzie Vaughan, which is just open now because of the uh, COVID. um, uh, William Osler, you look at those, they're unbelievable facilities um, and just totally different from a patient perspective. They can be in their own room, have their own toilet. Their loved one can stay in the room with them in a segregated area, and be in the room and not have to worry. If I had a nickel for every time someone called me to say, "Please move me out of this room because I have three guests that are keeping me up at night," um, or even one guest that's you know, another fellow patient that's keeping me up at night, it's just I. It's like I can't. And they're, they say, "Oh, we're willing to pay for it." I said, that's not the issue. The money's not. We just have no space. We have no space um for you to have your own private room i can't wait for the day for that to happen so when a patient arrives they go into a room and we don't got to move them five or six times to find other patients to match up to find space it's that's your room you stay in it short of you go into critical care or coming back from critical care that's going to be your room you go into and you leave from perfect your room your toilet your bathroom i mean there's one saying it's it's uh one bum per toilet toilet seat, not four bums per toilet seat. So, and that's what we got right now.
0: Yeah, it's uh, definitely an extremely difficult time uh, for healthcare workers and everyone in the community, business owners, um, everyone in the community from the pandemic, it's difficult. But I think there has been some positive moments and uh, you touched upon uh, many of them during our our conversation tonight and uh, the recent uh, funding for a new hospital that I really think Nobody can argue Windsor-Essex needs um, that that care and that acute modern facility. And uh, I'm excited. I'm glad to hear the progress that's being made at the Windsor Regional Hospital and, and also the the new uh, electronic system that's being implemented um, coming very soon. So uh, lots of exciting things um, during this challenging time for all of us. And I, I just want to give a, a special thanks to, to you, David, for um, taking the time tonight to join me for... Um, such a special episode, my 50th one, um, where I think many, many students in the community have, um, been tuning in and learning a lot from me tonight.
1: Yeah. Thanks, Lyndon. And thanks for, uh, what you're doing. I've, I've watched some of them. Um, you do a great job, great concept, and I'm honored to be your 50th. Um, so I'm glad you waited to, you know, you waited to have me number 50. So I, yes. uh, no, but um thanks Lyndon. you do a great job you have a bright future in front of you as well um and for all the students out there it's tough i mean my son your age Lyndon, and um as we talked about before it, it's tough for you to do this all remotely you know like you're you're going to school and being there and being part of it and having the back and forth with the other students and professors, et cetera, let alone the social life, losing that is tough and it's tough on everybody. And um, so I wish you and other students the best um, to get through this and um, we will get through it. We will get to the other end of it. But um, hopefully, as I said, it'll make us stronger um, for it and more appreciative of our future. Um, Like I stated for myself, not taking things for granted that I took for granted before. And that's going to be tough, but I'm going to hold myself to it. And hopefully everyone else holds themselves to it as well, is just live in the moment, appreciate the moment, and recognize it is so delicate. Life and things just as simple as going out to a restaurant in a crowd with a group of people or going to a sporting event. Or watching you know my son play baseball it's it's tough
0: it is it is and uh the light at the end of the tunnel is is hopefully here soon and um i can't yeah i guess i really can't thank you enough for those those kind words and um connecting with with the young leaders in in windsor essex david
1: oh well, thanks Lyndon. keep up the good work you're going places. You <laughs> places you're going places
0: Thanks so much. And to those watching,
1: thanks for tuning in and we'll see you very soon.